Good morning, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily and our Friday morning long-form episode here. A little late getting it out to all the listeners, but uh, still kind of recouping from travels and uh, a week-long time in Vancouver for the Resource Investment Conference. Uh, we conducted a just a ton of interviews, so we are going to get a jump on it here on the long-form episode. Uh, we have five specific segments from you from across the industry. You're going to hear from Riverside Resources. You're going to hear from Banyan Gold, Newcore Gold, Alexco Resources, and Maramaka. I mean, there's just a lot in here. Uh, and that's not, <laughs> we still have more interviews between the team here that we were able to conduct throughout the week there in our time in Vancouver. So, long episode full of junior mining exploration updates today. Thank you so much to Integra Resources, Rio 2, Western Copper and Gold, and Arizona Sonoran Copper for your continued support of the podcast. Uh, it was great to see a lot of familiar faces and also a lot of new faces. Thanks for reaching out and saying hi while we were out there on the exhibit floor last week. It's just really fun to get to know a lot of new people and to see old friends, of course. All right, we're going to jump into this conversation here. We're going to begin with Tara Christie of Banyan Gold. Uh, Four million ounces up there in Yukon. It's turned out to be a really incredible project. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be well. Uh, we're back here at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Happen to be sitting across the table here with the CEO of Banyan Gold, Ms. Tara Christie, Banyan Gold Trades on the TSX Venture with the symbol BYN. Uh, this is a very important conversation because this ORMAP property you just put out an updated resource on is getting up to that tier one potential if you have to put an ounce on. Now, tier one typically, people argue it has to be five million ounces. Tara, you're getting there. It's, yep. it's, it's, it's moving along that direction. Yeah, we can start to see that in our headlights as yes. we're uh, moving this project forward really for, you know, really quickly. Four million ounces at 0.6 for a heat bleach project in the Yukon with exceptional infrastructure, look-alike for Victoria Gold, we feel. We think we can see that tier one asset status uh, potentially by the fall. Yes, uh, I mean, it seemed like just a couple months ago you were like, just like one and a half, you know, and but you had so much drilling planned and it was just strategic. And you're drilling year round, I believe. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. January 26th to December 20th. So we take about a month off, give yeah. ourselves some time to repair equipment, everybody to have a bit of a break. But yeah, we're very aggressively drilling this off. We're already over 17,000 meters in this, this year, over 80 holes, very strategically targeted as we always do, right around where we're seeing that higher grade, east and west at power line, taking advantage of the frozen ground conditions to get to some more challenging holes. We even took some brave 300 meter step outs because spring was coming and we knew there was gonna be a gap when we wouldn't be able to get to some of those areas. And you know, we wanted to, to step out another 600 meters beyond where we were going to get to and then 600 meters already drilled in the other direction to the east so it's um it's going to be an exciting year for us you know this is a really amazing story to me to, to have followed the last few years because because you know the yukon so well and you know those times of the year that's going to be optimal to get the drill rig in i mean it takes a special type of person who understands the yukon to go in there and pull off what you're doing, which is very strategic, straightforward, and to be honest with you, it's, an, it's a really easy story to follow in an industry where there's a lot of difficult stories to yeah. follow. It's not complex, high grade, there's not big structure, it, and, and I think that actually works against us because our, our drill pattern seems too easy. What do you mean, 100 meter step outs right. in all directions? and. You know, people are a little bit skeptical of things. Yeah, this is a horizontal deposit. We see between four and nine layers where we're getting these concentrated sheeted veins. And and um, yeah, step outs work. You can see this mineralization in the core. And if we think it's getting weak in a direction, we wait for assays. If we don't, then we just keep on drilling. Uh, lots of targets. You know, the geophysics now makes sense. We can see that the host rock is this silicious rock and we can see that over 16 and a half kilometers. Is it mineralized? We don't know. This resource is roughly 1.2 kilometers at power line and the bulk of the resource now is at power line. 2.9 million ounces there alone. We've already drilled 1.2 kilometers to the west and another 600 meters to the east. So, you know, people should be able to do the math. If we drilled 30, 35,000 meters, I actually think we're coming in under budget uh, this year. So we're gonna be able to probably get an extra 
five to six thousand meters with our existing budget. You know, and, and that's where the preparation comes in. You know, I've been working in the Yukon all my life. I ran a very large scale plaster mine where you do operate in cold conditions. And we've spent the last two winter seasons getting ourselves set up to efficiently operate drilling in cold weather, planning our roads and trails, uh, getting all the equipment. And we own a lot of that equipment ourselves. So mm -hmm. it's a huge advantage for us and it's paid off in spades. I think our all in drill cost, despite inflation and the increase fuel price is still under $240 per meter, which is, so you know, that's five to six dollars per ounce that we're adding ounces for. So if we drilled 40,000 meters and we added 3.1 million ounces, how much are we going to add with another 30 to 35 this year with higher grade and better targeting? Yeah. You know, everything we're learning on this property is just helping us to target better. And we're going to take some big step outs. If you look at some of our most recent maps, you'll see we're trying, we're testing somewhat um, to the south, both four, six, even eight kilometers south, and then the same to the east where we can see similar high resistivity patterns, which could be you know, a similar area. We don't know if they're mineralized, and quite frankly, it'll be great to find some areas that aren't mineralized, because as we move towards our PA, we've got to start to find areas to put infrastructure, which hopefully aren't mineralized, and such problems to have. We can't find areas that don't have mineralization, but, <laughs> but that will be a problem at some point. And we're planning ahead for our PA, just like we always do. Um, now that we've got our resource, we're not resting on our laurels. We're going to our engineering team and figuring out what we need to optimize the economics for the PEA that we're going to do next year. And that allows us to do some of that drilling, um, you know, understand you know, what gets missed, because a pit-constrained resource is not necessarily the same as a mining pit that you'll get in your PEA. And that's a, a pretty, uh, pretty important difference. So it's going to give us a lot of time to make sure we do that right as well. Sure. So four million ounces in the inferred category. In the inferred, yeah. So are there plans to upgrade some of that to indicate it this year as you move towards the PEA as well? You know, we really want to find some higher grade starter pit areas. And okay. if you remember, the, it, it's a really fast moving story. Remember, we made the power line discovery in spring of 2019, drilled it out in the fall. So. Am I convinced we found the best yet? The highest grade, all there is? Absolutely not. And as soon as you, if you move too quickly to measure and indicate it, people think, well, that's, that's it. Um, at some point for the economics and the PEA, we're gonna wanna pick some starter pit areas and infill, get some of it to reserve status for a feasibility study and permitting. We're not quite ready, so I say stay tuned a little bit. Give me a little bit more time to explore. Let's test some of those regional targets. Make sure that we've really found the heart of this deposit. Um, yeah, we found a lot of gold, but I think there's a lot more that this property is going to uh, so give what, us. What, sorry, what, is, what, is, what does drilling look like this summer? How many meters are you going to put into the ground? So we'll have at least another 13,000 meters. Some okay. of it's going to be a bit more uh, space, so it'll take a bit more time. We were really able to drill very efficiently. All of our drills were in the same location, short moves. You know, that lets you get a lot of meters very, very quickly. As soon as you start some of these bigger step outs that we're doing right now, it's spring freshet, so things are melting and it's, it's all very, you don't want to be going on those roads that are further out into the mossy, muskeggy kind of area at this time. Uh, so we're going along the highway, which means you got to load the drill up on the truck and, you know, take it down the road, unload it. So there's a little bit more time between setups, which is perfect for this time of year. and It's an efficient use. Um, and we're also drilling quite a few of those holes that we left specifically along the highway for when ground conditions weren't great, which are going to add ounces and wait till we get to the summertime when things are a little bit drain the roads will be hard again which should be you know a matter of weeks you already get things drying out um, you clear the roads of the snow and you get drainage in and then you're able to they dry out very very quickly in the Yukon so then we'll be able to get to some of those targets up on RXL which we're really excited to go and drill yeah I guess my final question for you is really um, this area around Mayo obviously uh, you're there Victoria Goals there has been mining for a few years now with great success. You know, what other type of, specifically gold exploration, are there pockets in that area that haven't been tested yet that potentially could be? Oh, absolutely. And we have our whole nitro property off to the west, which we think looks just like our power line. I believe that this is a district, and we've seen it. You know, there's, there's lots of gold in the area between Attack and Snow Line and, you know, um, Sitka Gold, which are a little bit further out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have that huge advantage of infrastructure and being right beside Victoria Gold. But this really is a district. This was a very long-lived gold mineralizing system, and I think similar to Ontario, we've only just uh, started to discover the gold that the Yukon yeah. truly has. Yeah.
I will never forget my first trip to the Yukon a couple years ago. I mean, we, we were we didn't go to to your property, but we went around your property, right? And you were just an incredible tour guide because you were such a wealth of information for that area. I mean, you you know every tree like the back of your hand, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And able to talk about you know different projects, this historically who's done work on some of these properties. So you know, I, I'm really happy for you and for the team. Formula announces is something. You should be really, really proud of them. Yeah, it's just, just the beginning, it seems like. Yeah, I really have to give my thanks to my team, to James Tom out there in the field, and, and all the guys that work so hard through the winter to, to deliver this. And we've got a lot more that, you know, this, I view this as a stepping stone because, you know, we've got to get this up to that tier one asset status. And, mm -hmm. and uh, really, we've delivered on what we said we were going to do, and we plan to deliver on what we said we we're going to do again. Thanks, Tara. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks for your time. This is Tara Christie from Banyan Gold, again trading on the TSX Venture with the symbol BYN. Hello and welcome back to Mining Stock Daily with me, Paul Harris. We're sitting here at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. This morning we're talking about copper, copper exploration in Chile, and I am joined by Hayden Locke, President and CEO of Marimaca Copper. Good morning, Hayden. Morning, Paul. You've just put out some very, very interesting draw results. Let, let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. We're very excited about this. I think you know, we're in the middle of what we defined as an infill drilling campaign and we put out some results in both March and, and early May. And both of those sets of results showed that actually there's quite a lot of extension still to be found. I think in, in the first lot of drill results, we were very pleasantly surprised by this you know, enormous depth extension in an area that was previously interpreted to be thinning. Uh, and then the second lot of drill holes, which again were infill drilling, once again extended the deposit at depth and to the west. But these results really have confirmed that extensional uh, possibility at depth and, and along strike. And uh, you know, I think one of the one of the best drill holes was a, a fantastic drill hole through the middle, 420 meters of pretty much continuous mineralized column all the way from surface down to the bottom of the hole, uh, right in the middle of that exploration target that we put out uh, at the at the start of the year and really starting to underpin our belief that this project's going to change in scale quite meaningfully. And that, that 420 metres is 0.55% copper, so that's way above your, your cut-off grade there. Yeah, the economic cut-off grade depending on copper price, but you know, if you run a $4 copper price, we're about 0.15, 0.16% total copper. To put it into context, the average grade of the deposit uh, for the life of mine, the, you know, this fantastic project that has exceptional return on invested capital uh, metrics, is about 0.55%. So that drill hole really confirms what was already in the block model and gives us a huge amount of confidence that as we move from inferred to measured and indicated, we're not going to see any grade degradation. In fact, we might see some grade improvement in some areas. So it's a, it's a really exceptional drill hole for us. And so th these drilling results are sort of continue to push back the sort of potential sort of pit shell or the pit boundary. Um, luxury problem to have, and what is the plan now to just keep stepping out, keep going, keep going, seeing where this, where this will lead you? Well, we have a 32,000 metre drill program uh, underway at the moment. We've drilled about 10,000 metres of that. Some of that, the drill results still to come. So we've got a, quite a lot of drilling to go. I don't think we'll see a meaningful change in our overall drill plan because actually a lot of the infill drill holes are in the areas where these extensions are occurring anyway. We might see some additional metres in terms of length of holes drilled, uh, but I think we can probably get a fairly good picture of what this project's going to look like from that drill program. The big question will be uh, if we do continue to find these extensions at the end of this drilling campaign when we do our resource upgrade, uh, which we expect to be a you know, meaningful step change, do we then delay our feasibility study again and keep drilling or do we try and do it concurrently? And uh, I think that's a discussion for the board. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's the, the, the best champagne problem to have, isn't it? You know, what point do you draw a line under it or run the new in economics or do you just continue to grow? Because uh, I think you mentioned before we came on air, uh, we're talking about the, you know, the, the perceived weakness of the project so far has been perhaps the limited scale and, and now perhaps you're showing that does have big scale potential or bigger scale potential. Yeah, exactly right. We've, we've said it from the beginning that this project is unique in so many ways. 
and really the only weakness, if you have to find a weakness, people love to find a weakness, is that it's, it was 40,000 tonnes of copper cathode for a 12-year mine life. What these drill results suggest to us is we're going to need to rethink that scale, maybe 50,000 tonnes, maybe even 60,000 tonnes of copper cathode production, and we're almost certainly going to see an extension in the mine life, uh, which is very exciting for us. And just to sort of recap some of the other advantages the project had, you're, you're in northern Chile, you're near Antofagasta, you're, you're near the coast, you're near power, you're near water, you're near a lot of the infrastructure. These aren't things that you're going to have to build yourself. Um, so Marimaca is looking at an increasingly attractive project. And if you're getting that scale dimension as well, um, yeah, all power to you. Yeah, that locational advantage that you're referring to has really several benefits for us as a company in terms of our timeline to first copper, which makes us a very rare beast in the copper development space. Uh, but it really reduces that upfront capital cost. And so we, when we put out our PEA in 2020, showed industry-leading low capital cost to first copper. Now, in, in an inflationary environment like we're in, uh, where everyone's costs are creeping, that advantage on an absolute basis is going to be expanded because uh, we're obviously starting from a lower base compared to everyone else. And so this, we would expect this project actually to get better in this environment relative to our peers. And then the second aspect is really how quickly can we get into production? Uh, you know, we don't have any of the ESG issues that many of our peers face uh, in terms of local landowners, land usage, flora and fauna. Uh, we're not using fresh water. All of that translates into a much shorter timeline to first copper than virtually every other copper peer, and I think that makes us really, once again, a very unique copper story. Um, as I mentioned, um, one of the perhaps perceived weaknesses of the project in the past or up to now has been the, the lack of scale, and, and that perhaps would have meant that uh, some of the bigger companies or the, the bigger copper producers weren't really looking at you or interested in you. Are you starting to see that change? Are you starting to get those kind of corporates, the bigger corporates coming and you know knocking your doors, kicking the tires? Yeah, well, there's been plenty of uh, plenty of things written recently about this sort of transition in mining from mega projects down to smaller and more manageable projects for, for a variety of reasons. But the biggest one is the ESG risk attached to these mega projects. Uh, you know, so I think we're definitely seeing a lot of interest, whether or not that's real or not, when we haven't tested. Uh, but certainly the big companies want to know what we're doing, uh, because as we know, and we've spoken about it before, the, the cupboard is bare for new copper projects to fill what we all see as a huge supply deficit in the coming decades. And uh, you know, we're one of the very few new discoveries that have been made in the last five years. And so that makes us somebody that they have to talk to, uh, whether we're of the scale or not yet, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. They have to speak to us to understand what we're doing. Look, looking ahead to the sort of pre-feasibility, you know, the, the copper price has had a bit of a hiccup over the, the past month or so, but it's still over $4 a pound, which is uh, historical highs in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and a lot of people think that, you know, looking forward, going forward a few years, people think that $4 a pound is cheap for copper. You know, there's potentially a lot of price growth in copper still to come. So when you're sort of looking ahead to your, your PFS, um, what, what sort of base case price, copper price, are you going to look at? And will you put in um, the you know what the economics would be at a let's say five dollar a pound or six dollar a pound because you know people think these prices are going to be achieved at some point in the future well in terms of our base case and how we plan our business where we'll probably stick to a long-term consensus price forecast and we do that purely because you know you can convince yourself that it's a good idea to keep moving ahead and spending money on a project uh, by using artificially high copper prices and, and none of us know really where it's going to go I have the view similar to you that it's that we're very bullish in the long term and maybe there will be some more hiccups in the short term. So we'll probably run a base case around that consensus price forecast and then we'll run some sensitivities so that people can see how much better this project gets. But the key thing for us and what came out of the PEA is at $2.50 a pound copper, this is one of the only copper projects in the world, development stage, that has an IRR over 20%. There's almost nothing that compares to this in terms of the return on invested capital metrics. And so we're very confident that it will be a positive number and a, and a very exciting number at 350. And then, of course, we'll present the upside and people can uh, you know, take their own views on what long-term copper is as to the value of our company. Thank you, Hayden. Now, um, let's talk a little bit more about Chile. Chile's in the, the process of uh, a constitutional reform. There, there's a draft document of that uh, constitutional reform, and uh, to the delight of the mining sector, all 
uh, aspects of potential um, talk of nationalization was taken off the table. All of the, the radical proposals that would have impacted the mining sector were really, really watered down. Uh, however, the, the draft constitution document does include um, environmental aspects are going to get tougher. I mean, that seems to be clear and um, the, the regulations that will presumably come with that, um, you don't really know yet how, how, how they will go. So what, what's your view on, um, you know, potentially coming into the development stage in a few years time and what the, the regulatory environment will be like from an environmental point of view and how much how, how much do you think things will become more challenging there and to what extent or not would that impact the Marimaka site? Yeah, well, mining, I think there's two aspects to this. One, how it, how it impacts us. And, uh, you know, again, we're very fortunate in our location that we have a much lower environmental and ESG impact than many other development stage projects. But I think the bigger question is, you know, should mining be concerned about additional rigor in environmental best practice being applied in the mining industry? And I think the answer is no. I think we should be embracing that and be happy that the Chilean government uh, are being you know, more rigorous on, in terms of environmental management because, frankly, mining doesn't have the best track record. It is fundamental to our way of life and, and the energy transition. And if we're going to have both, then we need to mine in a sustainable way. And so having more rigorous environmental management practices, yes, it'll increase burden and cost for us as an industry, but it's, it's absolutely fundamental if we are to continue to exist as an industry that people want to be involved in. Thank you. And you as a company, you, you've been really sort of pushing that, that, that sort of agenda and, and uh, beefing up your ESG aspects and you, you've been in terms of the data collection and what the, the footprint may be. Tell us a little bit more about that and what the results of that have been. Yeah, so it's been a huge focus for us. It's it's the most important aspect of your permitting regime, and uh, you know that's obviously the, the fundamental driver. Getting a license to operate uh, any mine is absolutely fundamental to making money for your investors. So we've we've had a huge focus on it. We've implemented all sorts of systems and processes now, and what's come out of our review and our data gathering is this project is very well positioned from an ESG perspective, driven fundamentally by its location. So we're in the low coastal range, we have no local townships near the project, we have no indigenous groups, uh, no indigenous land usages, we've done full review of for archaeological sites and there are none, um, very limited flora and fauna because we're in the Atacama Desert uh, and you know I think the biggest one for us is not using fresh water, I mean that's a huge lightning rod in the Chilean market right now is how do you develop a project in a, in a you know, water stressed environment? So we'll be using seawater and that's a really, that's a huge ESG advantage for us as a company. So overall, we feel very confident that we're going to be uh, at the lower end of the risk spectrum. This is not to reduce the overall risk of ESG. It's a very high focus for us and it will remain that way. But we do, with all the work we're doing, see ourselves as being one of the best positioned companies from an ESG perspective in the copper development space. Thank you. Um, now, in terms of sort of future catalysts, I guess the next big catalyst will be the, the resource update. What was the potential timing on that? So uh, we were looking at around the middle of the year. We've been a little bit delayed from some drill contractor issues. And so we'll, fi we'll finish up our drilling in July and then we'll probably look to get our resource out in August, September. And, uh, you know, as I said, everything we're seeing now, we expect that to be a, a pretty meaningful change for us. And uh, we're excited for that to come out. I imagine so, and I'm looking forward to seeing that as and when it comes out as well. Marimaka Copper trades on the TSX under MARI. Hayden Locke, President and CEO, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Paul. And that's all from me, Paul Harris. Join us for more from Mining Stock Daily soon. Good morning, Luke. How's it going? It's going great. How about yourself, Carla? Good, thanks. 
Uh, thanks for catching up with me. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of an update on Nucor. What have you guys been up to? Um, we've continued to uh, aggressively drill on our ENCHI project in Ghana. Um, we are in the midst of a 90,000 meter drill program, which is the largest ever drill program on the uh, on the project, and uh, continue to get uh, very good results out uh, to the market. And that's something we'll continue to focus on over the next few months. So you guys recently made a few new discoveries, is that right? Yeah, so in 2022, uh, we've announced three new discoveries at our project. One of the goals of our 90,000 meter program was to make some new discoveries. Uh, we've identified about 25 different targets across the overall project um, and our resource only sits within four of those 25 different targets. So lots of new areas for us to focus on to look to grow the overall size of the project. Um, and you know we're very happy that we've been able to announce three new discoveries um, uh, this year. One of them at Tokasea, one at Siyum South, and one at a parallel structure uh, at our largest deposit called um, uh, Siyum. Uh, one of the key things with these three new discoveries that we've made is that they all sit within very close proximity of our key infra proposed infrastructure. So these are um, discoveries that will feed easily into a future mine plan. And uh, obviously that's something that's very important in terms of the overall economics of the, uh, of the project. So we're very excited to have been able to make those discoveries. And we've actually sent the drill rig back to um, Tokasea already, uh, given the, um, you know, the results that we had there, looking to additional follow-up drilling on the back of that uh, discovery that we made and uh, continue to push that forward. Awesome, lots going on. Um, I guess on these new discoveries, um, anything that you're really liking, any good intercepts or what's going on there? Yeah, so when we do our, our first pass drilling on these greenfield targets, we'll typically um, look at two to 400 meter spacing. Uh, these are very large um, anomalies and targets, call it six kilometers by two to three kilometers in size. So um, we'll go in with first pass drilling, uh, look to you know put those, um, uh, those sections in kind of at that two to 400 meter uh, spacing. Then depending on the success that we've had, we'll then go back in and look to tighten up that spacing in areas where we see the uh, best results come from. So as a result of that, we've um, again, at Tokasea identified some very um, perspective uh, or had some very uh, perspective results so we've sent the drill rig back looking to tighten up the spacing in uh, in that area so um, so yeah so we're very pleased with the results and uh, especially the fact that these are very near surface drill holes uh, the focus of that first pass drilling is the first hundred meters of, um, of mineralization so really focused in on the oxide transitional uh, zones and had some very nice um, higher grade within that as well. Um, what sort of catalysts are we looking for the next six months? You guys are drilling right now. What should we be looking for? Yeah, so we'll continue to get drill results out to the uh, out to the market. The other thing that we're in the midst of doing is some additional column tests. Um, we did a bunch of column tests in 2021, uh, had some very good results from that, kind of 90 to 95% uh, recoveries. So that shows that there's very good met on the, uh, on the project. Uh, so something that we're doing follow up on is uh, we've got an additional three column tests that are um, uh, leaching at the moment. So we'll look to get those results out to the market in the, uh, in the next few months here. And then one of the big catalysts for us is um, as we get as we complete our 90,000 meter program, we'll look to get a resource update, uh, an updated resource done. So we currently sit at a 1.4 million ounce resource, and uh, we'll get an updated resource done and look to get that out in Q4 of this year. Nice. You guys are going to be really busy. Yep. Well, it's something that um, <clears throat> I often remind people is that. We really only relaunched this company about uh, two years ago. And um, since then, we've obviously kicked off the largest ever drill program on the project, about 90,000 meters of drilling. Uh, we've also completed a PEA, which outlined very robust economics for the project. Um, looking at it at a 1850 gold price, you're looking at an after-tax NPV of 302 million, after-tax IRR of, uh, of 54%, so very robust. Um, 
um, economics outlined within that PEA. We also put out an updated resource at the same time, so currently sitting at 1.4 million ounces. We've made three new discoveries, as well as we've started to highlight some of the high grade on our project. One of the things that you see with these greenstone hosted deposits along the Sefwi Bibiani belt is that as you start to get into the sulfides, start to drill down below 150 meters, which is something that we're doing for the first time ever as part of this 90,000 meter drill program, you start to typically find higher grades. And, uh, and that's something that um, we've allocated uh, about 15,000 meters to as part of this program. And we've been extremely pleased with the high grade results that we've been getting on the back of that uh, drilling as well. So yes, as you highlight, it's been an extremely um, uh, busy, uh, busy year for us and, uh, and we'll continue to uh, aggressively push the project forward. Um, well, thank you so much for catching up with me today, Luke. I know we'll be watching really closely for the next update. That was Luke Alexander, CEO of Nucor Gold. They trade on the TSXV with NCAU and on the OTCQX with NCAUF. Uh, we'll be back with more from the floor of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Stay tuned. Thank you very much, Carla. Nice to meet you. Hello and welcome back to Mining Stock Daily here at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. I'm Paul Harris and uh, I'm joined today by Jean-Marc Saudi, President and CEO of Riverside Resources. Riverside's just announced uh, a very, very special and quite amazing deal. Uh, congratulations, Jean-Marc. Tell us all about that. Well, we're just delighted. You know, Paul, to be at this conference is excellent. And to come out with the news this week that Riverside has been able to do a deal with Hochschild Mining. We've done deals in the past with them, but this one is particularly good because it allows for Riverside to recover all the money we've put into the project. Secondly, we get to work with Hochschild Mining as a partner to do exploration in three stages. The first stage is generative exploration, drilling up for about $8 million of work, plus a series of payments. And then a second stage, and during that second stage, they'll develop a feasibility study, and that feasibility study over three years and another $3 million of spending. But then the third stage is so interesting because Riverside has the option to sell our interest for $20 million US or to stay in the deal at 25%. So for Riverside being able to get a free ride all the way through, and for Hochschild Mining to get exposure to us as the operator, where Riverside keeps 10% of the cost of all those steps going through and we work together is a wonderful, mutually acceptable project that we're delighted to do in Sonora, Mexico. Oh, well, thank you, Jean-Marc. And so in, in grand figures, it's about a $31 million US uh, sort of deal. Um, and take a, a step back, Riverside Resources, you've got a, a project generator model, your, your expertise, your focus is on Mexico, gold, gold, copper, copper gold even. Um, so this is a, a real validation and recognition of the, the value you can generate and, and uh, what Riverside Resources can do together. And you know, Hot Child Mining is a, a, a mid-tier precious metals producer out of Peru, London listed. So this is you know, great validation for your business model and the work you do. No, it's really wonderful. You know, we've been going for 15 years. Riverside is a prospect generator, and we've done over 64 different property deals. For us, this one on the Union project in Sonora, Mexico, is particularly luscious, particularly fun. The thing we continually do, including with our programs with BHP, where we're currently doing five for free copper projects, is bring forward key asset, key district plays, and they big plays that could be worth a billion dollars. Big, big type of upside. So for us, as Riverside, it's wonderful to have big companies like Hall Shield Mining come in to do the exploration and partner with them. Okay, well, let's talk a, a bit more about Union. Um, tell us about the project. What is it? Uh, what, what's the, the smoke there that Hostchild uh, um, wants you to dig deeper in and find and really develop into something special? I think they see the spark, actually see the fire, not just the smoke. We have 150 ounces of silver. We have two ounces of gold. Usually those numbers are in grams. Grams are 130th. 
of an ounce. So for us, 30 times richer than what you usually hear. So that's one thing. Secondly, the geology. Carbonate replacement deposits can be very rich, can be very exciting. Bulk tonnage type of grade deposits are really good and near the surface. The sampling we're doing is at the surface and we have three former mines. These mines we're now able to explore around. So it's a brownfield setting. There's an old mill on site and things like that. So we really like the project for the advancedness, the interesting exploration potential, and particularly the richness makes this a very interesting project for Riverside. Okay, so um, a lot of potential there. What's the when does the, 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 the agreement start? What's the work plan for this year or the, or the next 12 months or the, the, that initial work plan? You know, this conference has been so damn hard for me because every night I've been working on the budget and right now I'll go back and we're sending off the budget. The guys are coming to site at the end of the month. We're actually have already been getting the house ready and the logistics in place. We have a fully operating team in Mexico. That team has worked together with me in Riverside for 15 years. So this is a turnkey project. So we immediately are into action on the exploration, geophysics, and moving towards the drill stage. So we're very excited about the flow of results that can happen immediately from Riverside. Excellent. Well, wish you the best there. I want to sort of take a, a little tangent now because we're at the VRIC Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. You've been in Mexico 15 years, you just said. Uh, the keynote speaker today was Alberto Calderon, ex-president. He was president. You must have been there when he was president as well. Uh, what did you make of his uh, presentation and intervention? You know, I thought it was great. It was really good to hear his global perspective. You know, Jay Martin did a great at this conference, really good, and asking the similar questions that he asked Stephen Harbour. Harper, the former Prime Minister of Canada. And so having both Calderon and Stephen Harper both giving their perspectives. I think what I really got from Calderon's responses was that Mexico's open for business, that Mexico has great potential, that he really sees. And when he was the president, we saw that happening. And I think that overall, Mexico is open for business and very excited about the future. And so his being here is a great step for Mexico, great step for the resource conference and really shows that there's interest. The room was packed. It was great to see all the interest in what's happening in Mexico and overall this resource conference has been amazing interest in the potential for Mexico. Okay thank you. Let's move from one Mexican president to another to the current incumbent Andres Lopez Obrador. Now he's, um, he's got a let's say a mixed track record regarding the mining sector you know I won't say love-hate relationship but he's not necessarily the number one fan. Um, his perhaps most recent action in the mining sector he, he tried to uh, make a big move on the mining sector that got rejected so he, he made an amendment to the mining code so the state has a, a monopoly or, or the sole exclusive right to, to develop and exploit and do wonderful things with lithium. Um, what impact in practical terms will, will that have? I'm really sorry for the Mexican people. You know, this happened in uranium, and Mexico could have been a uranium producer. I think that we saw at this conference, uranium is so important, and Mexico has this potential. Unfortunately, none of the projects that Toramex, the uranium companies that we're operating, have ever been able to develop. Currently, to my knowledge, though we don't see any production of lithium happening in Mexico. I don't think governments generally are the best way to mine. I think that you can get capital, international investment, I think, in lithium could really make a great difference so as a person who's worked in Mexico my father's comes from Mexico we've been in there for so long it's a little disappointing hopefully things will look out great for Mexico and I think it's a little short-sighted unfortunately we need to develop mines and we definitely want to see that happen in Mexico and I think that's really important on the lithium side okay but uh, I imagine you it was received as a, as a positive that he wasn't able to advance on his, his bigger plan to be involved or have more state control of the mining sector yeah you know it's crazy to see state controlled. I don't think anywhere in the world we ever see state controlled to be, make any sense. The entrepreneurialness, the chance of having foreign capital, a chance to actually get investment. It's really crazy to think that a com any country is going to do that. And so anytime that happens, it stalls the economy, it stalls the development. And with the Mexican people, Mexico has a huge population. Mining can make such a difference. And so for me, that yes, this is stalled is good. The fact that we can get foreign investment is great. And I think that any president that can see that will have a long and prosperous future and good recognition for the great input that they've done for the country. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Jean-Marc. I look forward to hearing more about how the uh, the progress with the uh, the agreement with Hotel Mining and, of course, on your other projects. Riverside Resources trades on the TSXV under RRI and on the OTCQB under RVSDF. Jean-Marc Stout, President and CEO, thank you for joining us today. Great to be with you, Paul. Thank you.
And that's all from me, Paul Harris. Join us for more from Mining Stock Daily soon. Last but not least, here on the first day of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, and with the Yukon Mining Alliance, we're happy to welcome in Lexco Resource President, Mr. Brad Thrall. Brad, Trevor. it's great to, we shake great hands? to wrap the day with <laughs> yeah. you. First time I've shaken hands in a couple years. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be around people once again. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, come out of hibernation from Kino up there. It's been a long winter. It has been a long winter. Uh, you know, let's, uh, this has been a conversation I've been really looking forward to have. Um, you know, give us the latest here. It, 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 it hasn't all been roses and flowers for Alexco the last couple, well, greater part of the year. Uh, so let's talk about, you know, kind of what the company's up to now to really finally get into that production stage. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's been, uh, I think, certainly a more challenging and longer startup period than we had originally, you know, anticipated and envisioned. Um, you know, but having said that, I think we've made a, a lot of accomplishments in the last, you know, you know six, eight, twelve months. I mean, I mean, we've put over over 1.2 kilometers of development, lateral development, the Birmingham mine. We have a 180 meter raise that we put to surface for for primary ventilation, uh, and then we've been. You know, mining ore at Birmingham from the 1150 Stope, long hole mining methods. At Flame and Moth, we've got over a kilometer of development that we've completed to date. Um, and we're mining ore on two different levels and five ore faces now. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, uh, the ramp up has been slower, um, but we certainly think, uh, you know, we've, we've made a lot of progress uh, recently. Um, but no doubt that you know there there have been some challenges on the COVID side. Um, the first quarter of this year was particularly challenging on on, on COVID impacts to our to our labor. Um, you know, at, at any one point we had up to 25 to 30 percent of our workforce was in isolation. Oh wow! So when that goes on for a couple of months, you know that has a has a real impact, um, and certainly the supply chain disruptions. I mean, that, it's it's a real issue within the industry. Um, you know, things that might might have taken one to two weeks are taking two to three months right. now to, to secure. So that's had an impact on, on our development rates. You know, when you're trying to put an underground mine into production, it's all about daily advance rates. You know, every day you need to advance so many meters. And if you're not advancing that many meters, um, you don't have the ore faces available, you don't have the flexibility. So that's what we're focused on right now is, in, is improving our advance rates. Um, in the last couple of months, we've seen some, some real improvement, um, but we need to see that uh, kind of continue. So we are leasing some additional equipment um, to try to get over that hump of equipment availability right now. Um, and then certainly focusing on, on recruiting. Um, underground miners, underground mechanics are, are really the key positions. So yeah, so having said that, yeah, it's been a, it's, you know, been a challenge, but uh, it's a great asset, and you know that. Oh, absolutely. You know we we have a we have a pre-feasibility study that has you know 1.4 million tons of better than 800 grams per ton of silver. Um, you know 87 million ounces now in indicated resource, another 30 million or so ounces in an in inferred resource. You know all of what I would call the you know that all of the capital construction is complete. So so it's a it's a great asset, and uh, you know. We just need to kind of get it over the over the finish line here. I mean, we have been stricken in the last couple of years of things that are out of our control: yeah. COVID, inflation, supply chain issues. Um, you know, and, it, 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 and you're not the only later stage developer, mine builder that's been hit with that type yeah. of impact. Um, but let's talk about the things you you can control. Yeah. You know, what are some things that maybe you've you've learned through all this that you're putting in place now? to really maybe alleviate some of those pressures. Uh, it, we could be in an inflationary environment for quite some time, so what can Alexco do? Yeah, well, let's talk inflation first. I mean, one of the good things, it, it, again, it, when you see the inflationary pressures, I think what you've seen generally in the industry, that, that, that's associated with many of the large capital construction projects. Our, our large capital spend is behind us. You know, we've, we, we've completed our mill expansion, we've put another grinding circuit in place, 
Again, we've got over two kilometers of all this development in place. You know, we've expanded our camp facilities. So all that big heavy lifting on the infrastructure side is done and behind us. You know, about 55 to 60% of all of our costs at Keno Hill are associated with, with labor, um, transportation, and camp. Um, and then beyond that, you know, you have, you know, fuel and reagents and, and some of those types of things. So, you know, inflation is, is absolutely real, but it doesn't actually have as much of a direct impact on our operating costs. You know, so, so again, for us, it's all about development rates. Um, you know, we've learned a lot, what, you know, you've asked, I mean, what have we done to improve things? And, um, you know, certainly, you know, understanding the geology that's in front of us in our development phases. So we're doing a lot more infill drilling underground, geotechnical drilling so that we can see ahead of us what those ground conditions are better so that we can better anticipate, you know, poor ground and, 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 and be more proactive and reactionary when it comes to, uh, you know, ground conditions in front of us. So. Um, investing more on the on the on the equipment side, like yeah. I say, additional equipment, um, you know, to increase that equipment availability. You know, we've been in that 30 to 35 percent availability range. You really need to be 65 to 70 yeah. percent. So you know, again, focusing on on the on the technical side underground to, to, to understand the ground and and making more investment on the equipment is is what we think is going to you know continue to improve those advance rates. Is there a silver lining in here to where? the team's been able to get a much better understanding during this time through underground exploration of kind of kind of extending the mine plan and you know de-risking a little bit more through that you know is that a silver lining there here or am I just being optimistic no no I mean it's it's, it's a good point I mean let's go back to Birmingham for right. example we you know we've we've been mining on the 1150 level so that was our first ore horizon um, we first mined there in a, in a single ore heading, you know, cut and fill. We didn't do the fill step, um, but we did the cut. And now we're long hole mining retreating. So we're learning a lot on, on long hole, on, on dilution, how to control dilution, right. how to better drill it, you know, how to better blast it. And that's going to pay big dividends in terms of when we get into more and more long hole in, the, in both of these mines. So you know, we're absolutely learning a lot in these early days in terms of, uh, you know, Ground control, you know, dilution control, and, and all of those things. I want to ask you about about labor because it is obviously a big point here, and we talked I, we talked about it uh, with uh, uh, Ranch Pillay earlier about recruiting yeah. more labor up to the Yukon. Listen, we all know there's not enough miners in the world, and there's even fewer underground miners, right? Yeah. So what is Alexco trying to do here? And he briefly mentioned it. Maybe we can expand on it. What is Alexco doing to try to educate more individuals to consider underground mining? Yeah. Well, I've been, you know, personally, and Alexco have been, you know, one of the founding, I guess, members of, of the Center for Northern Innovation in Mining. So this is a this is a program associated with Yukon University, and it's a mine training center. And, and we've been very, I guess, very heavily committed to that over, over the years. And you know, and, it, and it's about training Yukon, you know, people, you know, underground miners, heavy-duty mechanics, you know, geological technicians, environmental monitors, and all of those positions. I mean, it's not going to solve the challenges today, but it's really building, I think, a lot of that capacity. And you're right. I mean, trying to trying to convince an 18, 19 year old, you know, that there's a that there's a career, you know, in heavy diesel, you know, heavy diesel mechanics or being an underground miner, it doesn't sound glamorous, but it's it's a very lucrative field if you want to get into it. Um, there's a lot of opportunity. It's very competitive right now. Um, so yep. So we spend a lot of time on that on 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 the, on the training side, and then at you know at Keno Hill, um, you know. It's not all about, you know, what are you getting paid per hour? You know, in this day and age, it's how's the internet at camp? How's the food? How's the camp facility? So, you know, it's important for us to stay very competitive in terms of our facilities and, and, and those types of things and pay a competitive wage. So focus on training, focus on recruitment, and, and, and really do a good job on, you know, having a good work environment and that, that people want to stay at. Uh, you know, let's look at the kind of, looking forward here with Keno Hill and Alexa's got to get to a point to where it's cash flowing. Yep. We thought we were going to, we thought we were there a couple times here in the last, you know, couple years. But what is it going to take? What, what needs to happen 
to get to that point to where that mine's turned on, you're producing cash flow, and your and Clint's dream comes true. Yep. It's, it's about opening up more ore levels and more ore faces so that we have the flexibility to have multiple faces of ore. So you're not relying on just one or two faces. Okay. And that means getting ahead on development. So, I mean, right now we have, um, I don't know if I, if I mentioned it, you know, we have four to five faces of ore at Flame and Moth, and we have one single ore drive at, at Birmingham. A good rule of thumb is about a third of your faces are in ore, about a third of those faces, of those ore levels are in, you know, secondary access, and another third are in a fill cycle. So if you want, you know, four or five ore faces producing ore, you really need a dozen or 15, you know, faces of ore at different levels to be active at any one time. So, so that's where we need to be, and that's where we're trying to get to in terms of advancing our, our development rate so we can get deeper into the mine faster than than, you know, that the, the, the ore is being produced behind us. Yeah. Mining's a tough business, ain't it? It is a tough business. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very, it can yeah. be very rewarding. No, it, 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 it's been a long journey at, at Keno Hill, but, you know, again, it's a, it's a great asset. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have, you know, feel like we have a real responsibility. We have 195 employees at site, you know, they have families and, you know, they pay mortgages right. and, and so there's a, there's obviously a lot of benefit to, you know, even a little company like uh, Alexco and Keno Hill, I think, you know, provides a lot of benefit and opportunity um, you know, across the north. So, yeah, feel a big responsibility and, and, and we're, we're obviously going to get there. Yeah, and, and, and you are positioned in such an incredibly endowed jurisdiction. Yeah. I mean, not uh, speaking of Yukon in general, but just Mayo. Yeah. I mean, you've got Victoria up the road that's obviously doing well. Banyan just announced four million ounces. Yeah. Uh, Keno Hill is, isn't it, it, it's definitely the highest grade silver in Canada, but it's up there in North America in the world. Oh, it, it's, it's, in the, it's in the top two or three percent of, yeah. of global silver deposits in terms of grade and size. Over 210 million ounces have come out of that district. You know, we've discovered, you know, between indicated and inferred, we've discovered 100 million ounces in the last 10 years. It's almost 50 percent of what's come out of Keno Hill, we have now on the books. Um, yeah. So again, the, the asset, is, it, it's, it's a great asset, you're right, the, the, the area in which we operate, traditional territory of the First Nation of Nacho and I have done, they're great supporters, I think we have a great relationship with the First Nation. Um, you, know, you know the Yukon, it's, it's in the north, but it's, it's a great place to be in terms of infrastructure. And, yep. And, and, you know, the permitting you know, regime is continuing to improve. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we'd rather be anyplace else. Brad, good to see you. Thanks for the good update. To see you, Trevor. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's your update from Alexco Resources. Trading on the TSX and the NYSE American with the symbol AXU. And that is a wrap here from the Yukon Mining Alliance, Yukon Pavilion on day one, Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. We'll be back tomorrow morning with some more interviews from throughout UConn.